the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Later in the show, I'll be talking to David Hall of the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation and Colin Keena of the Irish Times about the level of home repossessions in Ireland. Is there really a tsunami of repossessions coming down the track? But first, Peter Hamilton joins me in the studio to run through some of the major business stories of the week. Uh, Peter, you're very welcome. Thanks, We're going on. to start with, the uh, sadly, the death of Arthur Ryan, who was a founder of the Pennies and Premark fashion chain, and he died during the week at 83. That's right. He, he died on Monday at the age of 83. So he ran the first penny store on Mary Street in Dublin in 1969. Mm. And, and he was with the company for a long, long time, standing down as managing director in 2009, then becoming chairman. Uh, so he was born in Dublin, Arthur Ryan, and he emigrated to London to work with Taylor's Swan and Edgar, among others, before returning to Dublin in the late 1960s uh, to join Dunn Stores. Uh, and I suppose during his time in Pennies, he masterminded this growth of cut price fashion to to make them a major player on the world stage, not just in Ireland. They now have 372 stores. Which uh, remember the Pennies in Ireland, but the pre-mark everywhere that's right, else in the that's world. That's right. He was worried at the time of expansion that JC Pennies would kick up a fuss, the US chain, uh, when, when they when they uh, looked across the pond. So pre-mark, they've now grown to an estate uh, of 372 stores owned by ABF uh, across 12 countries now expanding in the US. So it is a behemoth of fashion and it's very well known. Uh, and Arthur Ryan along with it. I suppose the headquarters is named after him. Uh, he, he had a fairly significant impact on fashion and, and on yeah, Irish lots retail. lots of tributes flowing in from this week seen as a, very much as a, a legendary, uh, a legend in the fashion industry, although somebody who kept a, a very low media profile. Yeah, he was a very private man. Uh, th- that seems to be in relation to a... a an alleged fear of kidnapping uh, after some of his peers during during the time were, were kidnapped. Uh, but he was a very private man. But it was interesting that some of the tributes that came for him came from people that he would have been on the opposite side of the table of, like 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 Vernon, um, Stephen Vernon uh, in... in, in green property. Yeah, who, uh, yeah, who, who, who negotiated a lease against him. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so it, it's very positive for him that, that those, those tributes flowed in, I guess. All right, more dire warnings on... Brexit and its impact on the Irish economy this week. Mm, this is a particularly gloomy update uh, yesterday where the government signalled for the first time that checks on some goods imports from the north will be necessary after a no-deal Brexit. Um, now, wh- while they have underlined their commitment not to reinstate a hard border, the government also conceded that to remain inside the EU, Ireland would have to take some action to make sure rules and regulations yeah, were that's met. that's inside the single market. That's right, that's inside the, the single market. And for customers, for consumers, there are going to be consequences. We, we know, we've known some of this to some extent, but they really spelled it out, I guess, yesterday. We know now that the, the price of goods will rise, uh, there'll be customs holdups, delivery delays, and the curtailment of retail choices. Things that cost €500 Euro today, research in the Irish Times show, uh, on, on a UK website could jump to more than €650 Euro when uh, charges and taxes are added. That would be VAT here being imposed here and duties. Um, so th- this is an, an alarming update, most definitely, there's no doubt about it. But that appears to have been the intention with a small number of businesses here uh, having signed up to to uh, get a, a revenue related trading number so that they can continue trading in the EU post Brexit, um, 
the government is obviously trying to spur people into action and I think this may well have yeah. the desired effect. And they've also made clear that up to 55,000 jobs could be at risk in the economy. That's correct. And, you know, we had more more warnings today from, from the north, from Northern Ireland. They mm. said that 40,000 jobs could be at risk. So significant job losses across both the Republic and Northern Ireland in the event uh, of a no-deal Brexit. All right. Well, in spite of all of this uh, gloomy talk, Dublin Port is pressing ahead with an expansion of its facilities. Tell us about that. That's right. It's now looking for planning permission for an estimated 320 million worth of projects. It's worth noting that these projects will be spread out over the coming years, so mm. that price may well rise. They've said that themselves, that price may rise. That's based on if they were doing all the work today. So they're not, this isn't going to be kind of children's hospital mark two. They're not sticking to that figure. 320 is what they see it as today. That's what the projects will, they'll make up the second stage of their expansion plan. So they're working on this master plan to bring uh, Dublin Port, the state-owned company, to a maximum and ultimate capacity by 2040. So there are five key projects, roll-on, roll-off jetty for ferries up to 240 metres long is the big one. Uh, Roll-on, roll-off is is simply trucks coming in, coming on and and off um, a ferry. Uh, They want to lengthen the existing berths for container ships, redevelop an oil berth to handle container traffic and reorientate uh, another existing berth and consolidate some of the passenger terminals. So there's a lot of work there. And it follows their extensive plan of work, their extensive body of work that's that's, uh, underway at the moment. They expect to spend about one billion on redevelopment over the next uh, ten years. They are currently redeveloping the Alexandra Basin to allow it to accommodate bigger vessels. So there's a lot of work there, and I suppose this adds to all of their customs work that has gone on in the past few months. They now have a few more months to to make sure the port is up to speed and and ready to address any customs issues that may arise post Brexit as well. Was there any commentary on Brexit in today's announcement? No, <laughs> uh, not to my knowledge. All right. uh, I don't think there was. All right, Peter, we'll leave it there. Thank you for that. Uh, we're going to take a short break now. When we return, I'll be talking to David Hall and Colm Keena about the level of house repossessions in Ireland. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Now, Ulster Bank recently announced the sale of 900 million euro worth of residential loans that are deep in arrears and will possibly go to a so-called vulture fund. This prompted David Hall, who's long been a campaigner on behalf of those in mortgage arrears, to suggest that a tsunami of home repossessions was on the cards and that a Crook Park-sized number of homes would be repossessed. In turn, that led to criticism of David Hall for the emotive language used, with our very own Cantillon column on the business pages of the Irish Times calling it scaremongering. David Hall joins me now in studio to examine the issue, as does Colin Keane of the Irish Times, who's been writing about the level of repossessions as per the annual report of the court service. Um, David, you did describe it as a, a tsunami of loans. I wonder if you regret using that word, because obviously it has a kind of, you know, it has a connection with the, the dreadful events uh, in Asia about a, a decade ago when uh, lots of people um, lost their lives. And perhaps it's just not the right context uh, to be to be using that word. But you also said that it was a, a Croke Park-sized number of homes uh, would be repossessed and Croke Park has a capacity of over 80,000 and the data just simply doesn't suggest that anything like 80,000 homes are going to be rese- repossessed well, in the coming ju- years. Yeah, just deal with two parts. First part, the last part, no one ever said a Croke Park size number of homes. What I said clearly was that a number of people that would fill Croke Park, of which an average is four persons per home, there's 9,200 homes have already been lost 
since 2008. Okay, so sorry, I have a quote here from you. Um, uh, this is a take from an Irish Times story. And it says, quote, this is the beginning of outsourcing. The tsunami of repossessions is coming. It has been coming for five years. A croak park of people will lose their homes. Yeah. And, and it's a crow park full of people who will lose their homes because we always discuss these in the context of individual loans where in fact we're talking about families and people who are living in homes. So there's no, there's, there's less homes than 80,000 people in mortgage arrears. So it's just physically not possible for that number of homes to be repossessed. Well, do you regret using the word tsunami? No, no, no. You've got to clear. You know, I got a lot of abuse from a number of parties in relation to tsunami. Tsunami wasn't my choice of words, but it's a word that was used previously over the last number of years in relation to... Well, you chose to use it in, yeah, this for, month in the context uh, of this. And, and i use it again today. Not only will there be a tsunami, there has been and there currently is for those people who are directly affected. So heretofore, 9,200 people have lost their family homes. Now, don't, let's not start even looking at the numbers in relation to the buy-to-lets and people who are investment properties and tenants of those homes. 3,300 were done in foot of a high court order or circuit court order. But the rest of the people, just because it wasn't achieved in an order, were bullied and harassed into surrendering their homes. Many did and didn't get their debt written off, but they lost their homes. Many people, while yourself and one or two others, had a pop in relation to scaremongering and stuff. I had a number of people who were affected by the 9,200 telling me I had some cheek saying there was going to be a tsunami when they were directly already affected by what they perceived to be a tsunami, where their entire world had been upended and their lives dramatically changed by losing their homes. So there's three components to this, Kieran. There's those who've lost their homes by voluntary surrender, having been harassed and bullied into it, and those who were right to lose their homes. There are a number of people within the 9,200s, before you say anything, who were always going to lose their homes. And I'm not saying people shouldn't lose their homes. Let's be very clear. I've never said that. I have said there are circumstances where people will lose their homes. I'm saying the circumstances should be prevented to be as minimum as they can be. That's not the case. 3,300 got, high court, got orders of the court and the rest surrender their homes. There are then those who are currently before the courts. There are still people facing repossession at the moment that are currently before the courts where the banks have decided and some funds to a lesser degree because of the late stage of them taking ownership of the, of the loans are starting to repossess those homes. And then we have those who are not yet in the legal process who undoubtedly will lose their homes. So there are three components here. The amalgam of those and in, in, on many uh, outlets that I've had conversations with and many conversations I've had and many interviews I've done and many quotes I've done um, the number of people that will lose their homes in my view is 20,000 home, homes will be lost this multiplied by four gives you Crow Park that's where the number came from it hasn't changed 9,200 of those have already happened at least at absolute least and actually history I believe will judge and even the central bank's own report will judge and if you slash its margin of error completely out of that um, at least that target will be achieved, at least. And I'm not, I'm not including tenants who also, by the way, will argue that they're included in that, that they're collateral damage from people having lost investment properties and houses being lost. Those people who used to own those homes, those people whose lives were changed as a result of taking, you know, accidental landlords and taking on investments will say, okay. I've lost a number let's of properties. Ju let's just break down that 20,000 number. You're saying 20,000 <clears> people or homes? Homes. 20,000 homes uh, will be lost to repossession. Yeah, or surrender. For us, repossession and surrender. Loss of ownership of the home is the phrase that's used. That's the, the, the ultimate well, loss of ownership. Well, they're kind of different, aren't they? I mean, no, if, no. If, if a bank drags you to the court, gets a court order for repossession, that's kind of different to you voluntarily no, surrendering it legally your home. Is. It's it, it legally is. But yeah. I respectfully suggest that you and others who commentate on this on the opposite side of this don't actually ever engage meaningfully with those people who are affected. You ask the 6,500 or 7,000 people who've been dragged through the courts, who the order may not have been given, but they actually handed over 
the ownership of the home. Actually, some were so tortured by the process, they abandoned the home. And others celebrate the fact that the low numbers of repossessions and including voluntary surrenders have a number of abandoned properties. They well, I've never, no, no, no. Sorry, I've no, never no, celebrated never that fact. No, no, and no. And I don't others. doubt the distress involved but for abandoned the home, people. The pain and turmoil involved in someone having to abandon their home isn't okay. just abandoning a newspaper article or a rash art. They're abandoning their home. And to celebrate, not you, to celebrate the fact that, oh, well, among those numbers are abandoned homes. The point is, before the abandoned home, before the repossession and before the voluntary surrender, there's a massive story of torture for those people involved. And it, it is the same losing your home under those circumstances. So 20,000 homes over what period? Whatever you th- I think I think we're, we're into about six, six more years of this and we're all over by the time the vulture funds start doing repossessions. Six more years, okay. Now, there were 9,200 gone now. Yeah. There, uh, 43,643 accounts were in arrears of more than 90 days, according to the central bank data um, for the end of Q1. So you're saying 20,000. <clears> you're saying roughly, I mean, they're the ones that are uh, most vulnerable. Yeah. Um, so you're saying roughly half of those. Just to interrupt you, of that. Are going to be repossessed. Of that statistic, very important, the quantum of debt outstanding. Yeah. 92% of the quantum of debt outstanding for that entire batch relates to the long-term mortgage arrears number of 27,000. All right, bear with me. 720 um, days. The central bank data also shows that 27,565 accounts, that's homes, um, are in arrears of over 720 days. I mean, they're absolutely hopeless cases. Nobody's going to be able to get back on so, track yeah, so, so with that kind of level of debt. Well, then... Well, if that if that if you if that I'm actually being a bit more conservative than that. That's my point. Well, I was going to I was no, going to come to that. No, but you hit I'm being a bit more conservative. You're saying all twenty seven thousand are goosed. If all twenty seven thousand are goosed, oh, no, I'm not saying they're. No, yeah. but but I agree. Like, I'm not saying they are goosed. No, I'm no, saying no, they, no, I they look like uh, hopeless. They cases. do, and and ultimately, if you go back to the Ulster Bank introduction, to be fair to Ulster Bank, while what they're doing is despicable and having sold people in the past, they were honest. They said we try to restructure these three thousand two hundred people, which fits into exactly your position, and I agree with you. Of the twenty seven thousand people, there are a significant number of people, and if you go to the central bank's report last year the language they use is not as definitive as language I would use but it's the furthest the central bank have ever gone in saying that over half those 27,000 will lose ownership of their home and they're saying ownership of the home by some will voluntarily surrender and by the way some people should voluntarily surrender the home they are in large houses with massive debts that they'll never ever pay but others will have their homes repossessed so of the 27,000 people that are there that is the cohort that is exceptionally vulnerable and a, a number a significant number will lose their homes Okay. Colm, you've been uh, writing about home repossessions over a number of years. Using the statistics uh, produced by uh, the courts, the courts service, and you operate down in the courts uh, for the Irish Times. The Chief Justice has had something to say on this whole narrative around repossessions. Tell us about that. Yeah, he he launched the the court service annual report for 2018 this week. And um, the the repossession uh, figures are one of the things he, he focused in on. He said, um, and also personal debt uh, issues uh, more broadly, he said there's been a public narrative for many years which, which suggests that a very high level of repossession cases in the court exist in the courts and further warrants the level of repossessions are increasing. However, he said, the facts point in, in a different direction. There's been truly a very significant drop in new repossession cases, not only in the last year, but also over a five-year period. So then he gave the figures. So 2018, there was uh, 1,607 new possession cases uh, registered in the courts. And that's a 52% decrease on the 2017 number. And over the last five years, the number of new cases entering the court system has dropped by 82%. 
So it's down from 8,293 in 2014 um, to 1,607 last year. Mm. So it's really quite um, uh, a big drop. And he said there's been a 20% reduction in, in repossession orders actually issued um, last year. And then in the wider debt issue uh, area, there's been a 16% reduction in bankruptcy applications. Cases to seek debt recovery are down by 12%. Personal solvency applications dropped by 62% um, to 909 from 2,385 the year before. And then he said that the judges and the county registers have to deal with possession and insolvency cases uh, but they, and they have to apply the law. But he said he thinks it's fair to say they've always do, done so with compassion. Time, and, time is always given to enable efforts to be made to find solutions which avoid where it is at all possible people losing their family homes. But it has to be remembered, the courts don't make the law. They, certainly, they only apply it. Um, so, so certainly the figures show the trend is going in one in one direction and that's, uh, you know, downwards and very significantly so. Yeah. David, I mean, you know, this is the Chief Justice, a very eminent person saying Kieran, that the, Kieran, the narrative... Kieran, Kieran, uh, Kieran, Kieran. The Chief Justice's respect yeah. has no understanding in relation to the behaviour of the banks in relation to loan sales. Did really? He know, Do you think so? No, no, but he's talking about statistics. He's correct in relation to his statistics, but he's no, no understanding that all the major banks who are doing loan sales at the moment haven't done any action for the last two years. He's no understanding that the vast majority of the significant family home portfolio that were bought by Vulture Funds only went into their possession in February of this year. Well, I, sorry, I, I, would, I, would, I mean, I'm not here to speak... To speak on behalf of the, the uh, Chief Justice, but of course the court service runs this um, this whole system, yeah. and it's put a huge strain on the court service, um, judges and registrars. And he's the chairman of the court service, so I would say it's a big item on his, his in tray. To, to you agree know. with him on one thing that's very very yeah. important that he mentioned, which is very important: the judges and the registrars have been exceptionally sympathetic to debtors. And they have yeah, gone. And they've been put they, under huge pressure. So I'm sure he knows barriers. a lot about they're it. They're one of the barriers. No, but it, yeah. I'm not saying about mm. what he has there. I'm not disputing those figures. Let's be clear. Yeah, but you're saying that he's no idea what <clears throat> uh, what kind of pressure the banks are putting on people and, and so on he and doesn't. so forth. But uh, you know, he's. No, he doesn't. He, I, I'm, I'm sure he's somebody who reads the press. I'm sure he's somebody who listens to the radio. I'm sure oh, he's he also discuss it with his fellow judges who yeah, are dealing absolutely. with the cases and, uh, day and, uh, in day no, no, out. I'm sure he's very aware. No, sorry, of, sorry, of the you work. can't have it both ways. You can't tell me there's a limited number of cases in court that he's talking to his 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 colleagues in relation to, and a lar- much larger number. The whole point here of the twenty-seven thousand or the sixty-three thousand you mentioned, that only equates for a handful of them. So let's get back to say what's going to happen to the rest of those people? Are they going to get a free house? Because there's no point in coming back to try and bash me by saying the Chief Justice is saying there's low numbers. The reason there's low numbers is the vulture funds have converted from commercial properties to family homes. The banks have backed off issuing legal proceedings because why would they waste nine and a half grand in doing so when the vulture funds are about to start buying the properties off them? That's what's happening in parallel. I'm not disputing. That's wonderful. But you mentioned the 63,000 people. You're 100% correct. You mentioned the 27,000 people. I'm not here to have a pop of the Chief Justice. I have absolutely 100% respect for the Chief Justice. And his statistics, I'm not disputing at all. Well, can I ask, what David, I'm, you must know more about this than me. But when did the vulture funds start buying people's... This, uh, the bought first IBRC people. stuff in 2013, which is half-performing, yeah. half-non-performing. But that's but, not any sort of great... Greater vigor in you know trying to no, but, force but people out of their homes to, is not showing up no, in this. That's less than twenty percent of mm. what they currently own since yeah. earlier this year. Mm. My point is 
that earlier this year is when the biggest tranche went across to start mortgages and went across to Promotoria from Ulsterbank and PTSB, which was announced last year. So from a family home perspective, the cohorts that we're discussing that are in arrears, not the performing guys, not the buy-to-let investment properties, which is what they've taken up to now. They've now secured them, done their business with them, and they've moved on now to family homes. And well, David, 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 the, the point of this conversation, if you like, is that you have been suggesting that a tsunami is coming down the is coming down the road, uh, if, if you like, of repossessions. None of the data that we have to date, and I accept it's to date, but none of the data that we have to date, the data doesn't show what's going to happen in the future. I, I grant you that, but we can only deal with what we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's but the evidence. You, the evidence suggests that uh, there but, hasn't been I'm a tsunami. Of, I, I, the of, numbers are the numbers, but when of, I'm, of I'm asking you the questions you answer, asked me. Where happens the twenty-seven thousand? Well, I'll ask the questions people? if you don't mind. I'll ask the questions. What happens twenty-seven thousand? In terms, well, just let me finish my point if you don't mind. Um, in terms of the data we have from the central bank for Q1, the central bank says very clearly 38 uh, properties were repossessed on foot of a court order. This, uh, okay. this is in terms central of... Central bank. Uh, uh, can I read the central bank? Because you're dealing with a narrow area, which is factually correct and 100% don't dispute that at all, let's be clear. You're not dealing with the holistic picture in relation to what else is happening around the line that is going to impact on the future. And I'm going to give a quote from the central bank. Over half the cases progressing to long-term arrears are classified as involving the potential loss of ownership of outcomes. It is important to understand loss of ownership may take two ways, voluntary surrender or enforcement. Mm. So I'm saying to you, yes, the 38 is there. That's wonderful that the numbers are so low. Bizarrely, there's an alternative narrative that is saying your man is scaremongering and having a go unnecessarily. The evidence shows the numbers aren't there at the moment. But actually, what's not happening, which is the more mature thing to do, is turn around and say, what is going to happen at 27,000? So if you go to the Iwalia report... So let's go and read from the Iwalia report, who've gone and met 11,500 debtors in the last two years. And they've published a report, spent 15 million euros in a chaotic way, spending, giving out to vouchers to people, where a number of our agencies and bodies took vouchers and then the insolvency service shows they didn't do any insolvency arrangements. So the the Iwalia scheme launched by the insolvency service, as of July 2018, 30% 30% of the 11,695 borrowers who engage with the Iwalia Financial Services either have a solution in place or a trial that will, within a year, we believe, give them a solution. What happens to 70%? This, and I'm not trying to have an argument or have a go with you. I'm trying to say this is out of a sincere view and a sincere experience on a day-to-day basis of dealing with people. Here is the latest government programme, a brilliant programme, horrifically administered, but 11,500 people engaged. Its own scheme says we could only help 30%. Now, let's be clear, I would say, honestly, some of those people went off themselves, disengaged themselves. I'm not saying for one minute, I'm not naive enough. But my point is, of that statistic of the 11,500 people alone, forget everything else, what happens to those 70%? Knock a margin of error of 20% off it. What happens to 40%, Kieran? That's a tsunami. I'm, I'm like, the numbers are celebratory low. Myself, MABs, the MAB staff break their backsides the length and breadth of this country. The PIPs, there's a dozen brilliant PIPs in the country. Those judges, those registrars, brilliant work. We're holding back the tsunami. If we took 12 months off, what would happen? So I'm saying into the future, I want to be realistic to say to people, and I'm not scaremongering. Those people who are receiving letters and phone calls from people don't need me to scaremonger. They're terrified already. There are a limited number of solutions. The insolvency service is absolutely changing. The pips are coming up with great ideas. But at the current rate, and and Colin mentioned the drop in the personal insolvency applications, which is a frightening thing because there's only 12 good active pips in the country. The current rate to get through the 27,000 would take 36 years. Right. So 20,000 over... Six years. When, when are we going to see this evidenced uh, in nine, data? Well, 9,200 is a start. 
And I'm not trying to score points or have pops here. No, no, I don't want to be having these conversations about, with people's homes. We're talking about 20,000 over the next... No, but uh, the, this, the tsunami's been going on. You can't... You can't this, the original quote to the tsunami started in 2013. So since 13 to now, we've 9,200 gone. The central bank, the central bank on its own report says that 15,000 more of those family homes are going to lose it. So that's them. This is the central bank. And you all know the central bank, um, conservative at best, they're saying, they're saying up to 15,000 will lose ownership of their home. I, I, I would could argue it's higher, but I don't need to argue it's higher. I'm going by what the central bank says. And to be fair, out of 27,000, that's not bad. 30% got help. 15 million euro budget with lawyers and personal insolvency practitioners and 70% couldn't get help only in the last eight months. David, 20,000 over the next uh, six years. When are we going to see that? You know, when is this tsunami going to start? So the uh, Chief Justice mentioned a delay in legal proceedings and uh, uh, you mentioned about slowing off in legal proceedings. There was a very important case called Tanager versus Kane, which was in the courts for the last uh, 18 months and is in was in the Court of Appeal. That was a very basic case where Tanager wanted to change their, their name of the legal proceedings for repossessions, put their name on it rather than the previous owner of the loan. They lost that case in the High Court. It put the brakes on everybody issuing proceedings in the funds uh, and indeed the banks and then the Court of Appeal overturned that decision. That man, I believe, is appealing again but nonetheless, the Court of Appeal has now ruled that Tanager can. All the funds were in that position. The 18-month window was delayed in, properly so. I do the same myself. I'm not criticising them. They pro- probably would do it. Are 27,000 people going to get a free house? Central banks say 15,000 are going to lose ownership of the home. How many more uh, out of the other people that are there will lose ownership of home. We've had 9,200 have already lost their homes. So, whatever way this happens, history will judge whether David Hall is a headbanger and is 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 gone off trying to scare monger people. I have dedicated eight long years to helping people. I'm not doing this just for the crack. Uh, 12,500 people to the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation we've helped. Some good deals, some bad deals, some have lost their homes. We've currently 2,500 active clients on our books at the moment of which the bigger balance used to be banks, 80%, funds, 20%. It's now 50-50. So we have 13 people doing nothing else all day long but dealing with funds and, and stuff. And I brought with me then a presentation we did to the Finance Committee of actual files of engagement with vulture funds because part of your answer to the how many people uh, will lose their homes is the banks, the narrative is, well, vulture funds will do a better deal. So we went and had a look at vulture funds and showed some of them our files uh, I'm going to send this to you. I, I, I cleared it with our own guys today to send this to you in email format. And the first document we showed them was a personal insolvency arrangement for Tanager, uh, where the proposal in the arrangement was capitalised the person's arrears. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, that, that was that was uh, one example. And first, uh, by the way, can I just say nobody's doubting your credentials over the past uh, eight years. The work you've done with the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation, and now that you're doing with iCare, is fantastic. Uh, and unquestionably, you've helped a hell of a lot of people. Uh, over that time in terms of their mortgage arrears. It's just there is a, a certain sort of uh, weariness, if you like, No, out no, there. I accept that. I, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm as that weary. That every time I'm we have a report or something else, David I'm Hall as, comes out and says I'm there's as weary a tsunami as coming else. down the tracks. And we haven't seen it in the yeah. last uh, and, and, number of years. The, the numbers don't don't uh, bear it out. You may, you may be right. We might sit here in six years' time and it could be more than 20,000. It's one of these bizarre things I actually hope I'm wrong. Uh, but I, I'm being honest in saying I believe I'm right for a whole host of reasons. One of the reasons and that's why I delay, ask, should you be changing the language you use around this? Look, should you change the narrative? Can, can I say to you as well, um, Kieran, it's very important. Is since 2012, an, an abundance of measures have happened, some good and some not so good, that have delayed this. Um, split mortgages, the insolvency service, the code of conduct of mortgage arrears was revised twice. The insolvency legislation was revised again. Bankruptcy went from twelve years to three years to one year. The Awali scheme was launched three times. A whole host of things happened that delayed things. And, and by the way, I, I'm going to say something against myself. 
I've contributed to that by setting up eye care because a number of people come along and say, great, another option. And they pause and they breathe and they go again and apply. And all of these things add to a delay. If this was to be done correctly, you mightn't believe, you mightn't think, I think I'm completely bonkers to say this, this was to be done correctly. What should actually have happened is all the cases should have gone over a 12-month period into an insolvency, MABS and IMHO process. And all of those people who cooperated and got deals, got deals, the rest went off and got repossessed. That's actually what should have happened. Because I still believe the number will be 15 or 20,000 on top of the 9,200. That's my point. That's the sincerity of the deeply held view. Major issues have happened to delay things with insolvency, legislation being introduced, the personal insolvency practitioners, MABS ourselves, personal insolvency practitioners, um, and the court service have held this back. Tell us about ICAR. Um, it talks through the numbers. It's a housing body, essentially, that takes, buys the loans, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, buys the loans off uh, banks, uh, loans that are deeply in arrears, leaves the people in their homes, and they pay you a rent uh, effectively to deal with what you've paid for that mortgage. Yeah, so mortgage rent is a government scheme start up, started up in 2012. One of, the, one of the things I just mentioned that was set up in 2012. Um, people are eligible for social housing. So these are people who will lose their home, will be on the social housing list because they've been deemed eligible by the local authorities being eligible for social housing. They surrender the home to the bank. We buy the house from the bank. They pay the same as they would pay in social housing rent around the country, which is averages of 48 euros a week. The local authority substitutes that, subsidises that by paying us the balance of the market rent locally. Their debt is written off. They get to stay in their home. There's no court proceedings. They're, the banks have all agreed to terminate bank uh, to terminate the proceedings. All the funds and all the banks so far have written off all of the debt of the customers. Since November last year, we've bought 66 um, houses. This day next week, we'll buy a further 22 and we've 627 approved to be bought. The conveyancing, it's very, quite difficult. We've corporate finance and funding from AIB uh, to buy the homes and uh, we're a charity and an approved housing body. So we do get government support in, in, in Minister Murphy's office gives us uh, 30% of the purchase price on a long-term low interest loan. So it's so a, that's a little over 700 homes effectively in the pipe in there, either through the pipe or in the pipe at, uh, at some on, level. To, on top of that there's a further 500 with MABs and ourselves that are proposed to the bank. Their ones have come through the proposal process. The bank has accepted they will proceed to mortgage rent. There's a further 500 in in the pipeline. And realistically there's probably only another 1000 that might be eligible now. The department have done a thing uh, effective last week, which is important. The minister has raised the values of the houses since uh, earlier last week, um, which will help bring more people into the net. So there were a number of people who were excluded on the last couple of years because the value of their property was just above the threshold. That's now been done. And also the minister has agreed, if I can agree to buy a house from a bank below the threshold, irrespective of its value, that's allowed to go through. So there's been practical work done but it's bureaucratic. It takes a long time. But undoubtedly, it's it's a solution for that cohort of people. The 27,000 who are in arrears of 720 days or more and would seem to be, to use your own term, goose, what what do you think should happen in those cases? Um, and, and I think the following statement should prove my sincerity of the feeling I have around the tsunami comment and the, the fear that people should be in relation to losing their home. If I was the banks and if I was government in the morning, I would suspend all repossessions for a 12-month period. I would compel all those persons to engage with MABs, with a PIP or with ourselves, um, and have financial statements and documentation submitted within six months. And then I would have the insolvency service adjudicate whether the offer made by the bank, the PIP or MABs or ourselves to the punter is reasonable. And if it's not reasonable, they have a home repossessed. If it is reasonable, they accept the deal. Okay, that would require a whole raft of new legislation, no. I would have thought. No? no. Really? No. 
No, we have the legislation in place to... Well, well, the only legislation we need is to accelerate the repossession time frame. So does the Insolvency Service have those powers? Yeah. It does, at the minute. Yeah, they, it well, does. If everyone agrees to... So don't forget, at the time you're asking the Insolvency Service to have a look at this thing, you've consented and agreed and you're in on board. The problem that everyone has is the people who don't engage. I'm not here to defend the people who don't engage or people who can pay and won't pay. They're in a different cohort. What you do after six months is you bring forward all those who want to engage... The problem happens, what happens to 70% of the Iwalia voucher people? That's ultimately what happens to 70%. That's the concern I have. Colin, what do you think about that scenario? Well, I, I, I'm no, not at all, um, and I'm loath to give an opinion, so I don't think I feel I'm quali- as qualified as David, but I was down at a court there, I think it was Tullamore last year for one of these hearings where there were hundreds of people queuing up and the MAPS people were outside and so on. And, um, you know, it seemed to me that anybody who was making any kind of an effort was put back, you know, it was, their case was adjourned back again. And then I was talking to some of the people in the queue and the, the, the emotional toll it's taking on them is really enormous. And I, found, I must say, I found it quite traumatising myself just talking to people. I felt so sorry for them. They were stuck in these houses. They're close to schools. There's a housing crisis we all know, like you're losing your home. Seems to be what keeps half the country awake at night. But... I'm sympathetic to David's view. Like, it's gone on for years and years now. It must be taking a terrible toll on people's, you know, nerves and their their general health. Yeah, certainly so for on. anybody who and is... maybe if you just get the, get, you know... Lance the boil. Yeah, and then you have to go off and start again. But, yeah, but, but hold on a second, guys. Hold on a second, I know it's hard. Yeah, for, for people who are genuinely engaging, absolutely, it's been yeah. a traumatic experience and your life is on pause for however yeah, yeah. many years. Yeah. But what about those thousands who aren't in, engaging? They're doing that deliberately. These are, these are deliberate actions. Kieran, but he's listen to me clearly. You pass legislation that you set out criteria to engage. You don't engage after three months. You do what the UK so does. So we do need legislation. Yeah, for, the, for that part, yeah. for, the, for the accelerated okay. repossession you do. Uh, anyone who's messy, the people that you met, the people that we deal with every day, and by the way, the MAB staff, this is not a pleasant business to be involved in. Sure. This is a very difficult business to be involved in dealing with people who've had a whole host of circumstances, marriage breakdown, and a whole host of other circumstances leading to this. But we do, when I, when I was here years ago doing an interview, it was all about debt and negative equity. Now it's all about housing. Yeah. No one comes to us saying, oh, I'm in negative equity. They don't care about negative equity. They don't care about debt. Where am I going to sleep? Where are my kids going to sleep? I can't afford to pay. The interesting part about the Ulsterbank thing, and I'd love Ulsterbank, and, and to be fair to them, we have so, had some engagement with them, I'd love Ulsterbank to show us those figures because the figures that Ulsterbank have are the figures we have with other clients and customers, which shows if they lose their home, they're just marginally above social housing, they won't be eligible for iCare for mortgage to rent, and they're not eligible for restructure, as has been evidenced by having five unsuccessful ones done, and they can't afford market rent. So there's squatters, thousands and thousands of squatters in homes at the moment that they've broken their back to try and keep and save and like the drowning person is drowning trying to save themselves at 3,200 people five restructures anybody who knows anything about having engaged with a bank to get one restructure will know what's So you don't happened. believe the Ulster Bank narrative around these, these No notes. I do I think they've been ultra, You do uh, believe it? No the Ulster Bank have been very honest okay. I, 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 and that's what I'm saying the So Ulster why Bank is their behaviour despicable? Selling onto vulture funds because what they did for the last 12 months is they didn't do restructures they paused all restructures hence all the legal actions paused They'll tell you that themselves I'm not telling you something they don't tell themselves they're not lying they're honest So they said they could have done the easy option these are all non-engagers we're selling them all they're all gangsters they didn't they said sorry lads we tried to if ever anyone needed a red flag Ultra Bank 3,000 to 200 multiply that by 5 on average with the banks that's 15,000 people with an average of 5 restructures failed who are going to lose their homes 
the red flag is in the data from Ulster Bank. They could have taken the easy option and said, all non-engagers. They said, no, we did our best to try and help people. They yeah. did their best to try and help them. Mm-hmm. We couldn't help them. And my question and the tsunami is, what happens? They are Walia 70%, the 2,000, 3,200 people in relation to Ulster Bank. What happens to those people who aren't eligible for social housing because they're 20 or 30 or 40, 50 quid above the threshold per month, can't pay the 950 well, what, rent? I don't, I don't care why Ulster Bank's actions are despicable. Well, you, you described them as despicable. If they've done everything possible to help these no. people and put in place five restructures on average each and because so Because they should have offered the discount they're going to offer to or had offered to Promotoria previously to the customer. Because if you're benchmarking a loan at 300 grand and you sell it to Promotoria in the last loan, not pre-indenting as Promotoria for this loan batch, that they bought it, let's say, for 100 grand, they should have offered the restructure at 100 grand. That's right. my point. And then we come into a situation with moral hazard and let's not go yeah, down no, that no, road. No, I, accept, I, I accept there's a valid argument against that, but I'm just saying to you that it is yeah. something, it's the same with the insolvency stuff that could be done. They're resisting insolvency arrangements. They're, they're ba- okay. you know, fighting insolvency arrangements. Tell us, IMHO, um, where are you at at the minute? Uh, how active is it still? Very active. And now we're converting. We're going to establish a dedicated uh, insolvency office. We're going to start moving because most of the loans are gone to, to vulture funds now. That there's no, so the restructures that the banks offer, the vulture funds don't simply offer them despite the, the external narrative by some vested interest. You know, the capitalization of rears, um, split mortgages, the various other solutions that are being provided. Many people's values of homes have gone up now. Um, and we're going to start having a lot more insolvency arrangements, which is the only way to tackle vulture funds, which they don't like. Um, but it's very, very busy. It's very, very long. It's very difficult. Uh, ourselves, MAB staff all over the country, doing everything humanly possible to help. Many cases people. have you still got in your books? 2,636 as of this morning. And those a, those projects with AAB and KBC, have they expired? No, nope, they, still ongoing. They're still ongoing. Still ongoing. Okay. Uh, so you were saying that the 2,636 cases, in most cases, you're, you're moving away from trying to restructure yeah, um, because attempted. they're owned by vulture funds and you're now trying to put in place insolvency yeah. arrangements. And we would do a third of all the bankruptcies in the state. So how many, how many of those people do you think will lose their homes? Half. Half. Over what time frame? As long as we can drag it out. Like, the, back to the point, like, I have an honest answer, to, a question to answer, which is, is it, is it right for me as an advocate, is it right for me as a charity to drag out legal proceedings on somebody? There's a massive ethical question to ask while someone would jokingly say, well, your man Hall could drag out a repossession for six years, seven years is our longest. Is that good? Is that a good thing? Was it just as done decision, a good thing that we got successfully a number of years ago? Did it not torture people longer for 18 months? Like there's there's some serious questions to ask of those. And, you know, arguably you could say to me, one of the questions I'd be asking is, where's everyone else, David? You're the number one advocate. The where's the other 20,000? Mab's at 1,400 clients. Pip's at 1,000. Where's everybody else? So there's a genuine questions to be asked, but ultimately what ner- makes me the most nervous is the most relevant information from the Awalia scheme. Great idea, horrifically executed, is being reviewed, will be changed, but 30% got deals, 70% didn't, is very worrying in the current environment with a state-sponsored scheme that gave 15 million. Money was no shortage here. Money was no shortage. The insolvency legislation needs to change, but also we have a privatised insolvency service. Very few places in the country, in the world, have a privatised insolvency service. MABS should have been the insolvency service in Ireland. And we're now going to, we have an application in with the insolvency service, Methem this morning, to set up an insolvency office, which we will start doing the insolvency arrangements, working with about a dozen other good active PIPs. When you say an insolvency office, what what do you mean? Where we'll have dedicated staff um, assigned to manage debts and loans in but the context. Can, uh, can you not do that anyway? I mean, yeah, doesn't yeah, somebody yeah, just yeah. have to get a PIP licence? Yeah, yeah, we have the PIP licence to do it, but I think there's five staff required per PIP to do it properly on, on at scale. This is all over next June, Karen. Um, all the banks will be down to 5% non-performing loans between here and next June. Um, there's, there's a whole res- strong 
feeling within the banks. They're very confident after the permanent TSB sold the restructured loans to under Glen Bay. They're they're very strong and, and confident in being able to sell now. They think the, the public disquiet has gone down, which it has, and it will increase as soon as properties start being repossessed and people start going back on lists and you've got a conveyor belt of a door. So we have a couple of proposals to minister, meeting Minister English next week. In, under eye care, CALF is the 30% grant we get. Great help. We're asking, can the CALF be given to us to buy a loan, not a house? To buy a loan, not a house, to prevent homelessness. That's a game changer. That is genuinely a game changer where we could go and talk to Ulster Bank, which I believe we will do in relation to buying those 3,200 loans. And if we got CALF, Ulster Bank have a decision. Do you go to a vulture fund who'll pay a 50%? Do you go to charity who'll pay a 30%? Your call. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, listen... um in the fullness of time, we'll know whether your prediction of uh, a tsunami of repossessions is, uh, is is correct or not. A lot of uh, numbers in there for our listeners to digest, but I think a good conversation uh, nonetheless. And we wish you well, David, uh, in your efforts to try and help uh, people stay in their homes. And that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Peter Hamilton, David Hall and Colm Keena. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. You can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today. Email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed each day on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.